Hi, I'm Steve. I'm Erin. And I'm Daniel. And we're the Verbal Reasoning Podcast. Three friends, all with professional scientific backgrounds. Discussing all things under the sun in the most digestible way. Enjoy. Enjoy. Very big welcome to the Verbal Reasoning Podcast with today's episode, Women in STEM. Today we're talking to some prominent figures in the engineering world, and I'd like to give them an opportunity to introduce themselves. So maybe starting with Clara. Uh, she's a friend of mine and we study together. Would you like to uh, explain what you do also? Okay, okay. Hi, I'm Clara. Um, I'm an engineer now. I can say I'm an engineer for real because I've left uni. <laughs> um, I work for a company called and I'm a big advocate for women in general, but particularly in STEM because it's an area that you don't see a lot of women in, unfortunately. Um, so that's a bit about me. Awesome. And also with us is a good friend of mine, Marika who also works for me, and I'll let her introduce herself. Hello, Marika here. I am also an engineer, and uh, as Steve mentioned, we work together. Uh, we work for a company called Airbus, where we design airplanes. And uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and last but not least, Sahila. She also studied with me in Sheffield University and is now an engineer. Hi, I'm Sahila. Um, I work for a global healthcare company. I'm a graduate engineer. I graduated about just over t- almost three years ago now, working um, in a variety of different roles. I keep swapping, so I've had about seven different roles in my time. I'm working on a scheme at the moment, currently managing about 14 people in my team. So yeah, I'm a big advocate of women in engineering, and I hope to invite more students into engineering as part of the work experience that um, we offer as well. Awesome. Yeah, just to give you a bit more background because they're a bit like shy. Sahila and Clara were also president of Women in Engineering in Sheffield University. They were like quite key in pushing the uh, the society forward and obviously um, volunteering at schools, etc. And also we were able to release the book that was also presented to Parliament, Susie and Ricky, The Crash Landing. This was Sahila's and Clara's uh, good good work to be honest. So, well done, girls. <laughs> so maybe we can jump straight to the topic. Uh, so as I said today, we're going to discuss the subject of women in STEM. And currently, there's a disparity between male and females studying STEM-related subjects, as well as finally pursuing the related subjects as careers. And at least from my experience, from an early age, there was always like a false portrayal of engineering being uh, highly, you know, hands-on, dirty field. You know, you, you get pictures of like in your mind about like uh, you know a guy with a hard hat and oily hands with a spanner <laughs> those those kind of uh, images so one maybe one of the first questions i like to ask is you know as a young student at secondary school or high school what was your perception of engineering in stem at that point in secondary school yeah yeah before before you went to uni and you were able to like actually see what it's about what was your perception I think even in the, when I was in high school, I didn't realize how office-based it was going to be. So I still expected a little bit of the hard hat stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as soon as I started university, I started to realize more and more it is actually, it should not be gendered at all. It is actually more about your brain and your knowledge rather than getting down on your knees. And I mean, that is a big, oh, my phone is ringing. I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, obviously, that's a key aspect of um, understanding a system. But it's not something that would rule you out. I don't need up, great upper body strength to look under train and figure out what's going on down there. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. Maricas, coming from you know, a different uh, education background in Italy, what was it like there? And like, how did you perceive it? Yeah, I, I was not 100% sure of my choices until the very end of secondary school. 
Uh, I don't know if this has to do with any perception that I might have had of engineering in general. It was something quite far from my reality, so I was a little bit maybe uh, scared of taking these uh, these steps. So I was really into um, STEM subjects, but I could not choose exactly what I wanted to do. I, I loved physics, I loved maths, but engineering, it, it took me quite, quite a while to actually understand that it was what I wanted to do. And also the image I had of an engineer was, probably very different from what I do now uh, so but I think it I don't know if it's anything to do with the idea or gender bias or anything I think it's more like until you do something it's difficult to picture it and it's difficult to really really understand what it is about so there is a bit of an element of surprise of course mm-hmm. and this contributed to me not being sure about yeah. that. Uh, this choice until the very end so until the last year I was in doubt between becoming an engineer or something completely different yeah, yeah. did that doubt come from outside though as well like because for me it was like if I did tell someone that I was doing it they would you know there would be a few people that would ask you are you, are you sure you want to do I, that yeah I, I had that as well yes there were people asking oh really oh that's that's unique <laughs> oh really that's interesting uh, at least for me i never got that it was actually more like encouraged uh you know oh yeah actually i've, I've even been told to be honest like this is like oh this is like a man's job i, I do remember this so like i can see like it's a bit of a different uh perspective uh what about you sahila what was your like view on it when you were young yeah. so i went to a local com- comprehensive school um in london and engineering wasn't really mentioned it was a kind of kind of a specialist school in performing arts um and but my kind of focus my kind of need um to really learn about science maths um i love the subjects i love biology um so when i was looking around i my initial focus was i wanted to become a doctor and that was probably a bit through my parents um i have south asian parents so you know that's kind of, that's the kind of thing that 100 you know, yeah. a lawyer that's the kind of field that they would want me to pursue um but then as i to, uh, did a m- bit more work experience um, in, towards the end of year 11 and then year 12 as well. I did some work experience in hospitals and I saw, I looked around me and it was a, you know, this was a fantastic children's hospital in London. Um, loved everything that they did in the hospital. The staff were amazing um, in treating the kids, but the kids were coming in for dialysis. So, you know, the what was keeping them alive, what was keeping them going was the technology around them, these dialysis machines that, you know, you're looking around, they're keeping the blood filtering. So that kind of technology really made an impact on me. And that's why I ended up um, choosing bioengineering as a subject, because I saw, I, I wanted to help people at the end of the day. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help people. I wanted to change the world by helping people. And looking around, it wasn't just the doc, the team of doctors and nurses, um, or the, you know, the full support team that gives the, healthcare um, to the children but it was also the technology around them so that's what really made me want to pursue engineering oh that's really cool so you can kind of attribute it to the environment that you were in that inspired you to do, to chase it sorry go yeah, on, and you can't really be what you can't see so um looking around if you wanted to become a doctor you when you since you were young you were always kind of exposed to that because you would go for vaccinations you would go yeah. for checkups and so on 
a nurse is similar um you might go you might have parents who work in an office job so you know that that kind of role you, you have that around you so as a child you kind of grow up to thinking this is what that perception is um but then as an um, if you don't have a family or you know if you don't have any family members or friends who are engineers you don't see that and you don't see what they do so i think it's really important for more females more um kind of even males to kind of encourage um engineering as a, a potential subject for young for the next generation mm, i guess maybe part of it like you said you know you need to actually be like exposed to it but maybe the next question would be like was it encouraged in school i mean did you feel like the teachers were encouraging you to take engineering because that's really their job right is to expose you to these uh, these roles these opportunities um, as a young child uh, we can obviously we can kind of rely on our environment but it's not always going to be the case for everyone so mm-hmm. we should actually rely on the education system so yeah just your experience with like teachers where you push actively push at least in my experience i remember like yeah teachers were telling me towards the end of, of like gcse's you know oh yeah you should be doing physics and that to become an engineer etc i don't know what your uh, like experiences are I think after I finished A levels and nobody mentioned uh nobody actually mentioned like oh you should think about doing engineering. I when I finished IGCSEs, I I passed my sciences and maths. So there was like just options there were like doctor, engineer, like you know, very broad spectrum. But I just had no idea what exactly I wanted to do. It was my mom who really talked to me about engineering a bit more frankly than most my teachers ever did. Um but then I also transferred schools a lot. So <laughs> I think the <laughs> teachers didn't even have like the opportunity to to give me to talk about engineering with me. But mm-hmm. then the very last school I went to was um the most surprising cuz that was where we were only three girls in a physics class out of like 15 boys. You know, yeah. it was ridiculous. It was the first time I'd seen anything like that to be honest. And it was a uh, a school where it was it was quite a good prestigious school back in mm-hmm. Kenya. So you would expect that um with all this outlook and all this like um international exposure, um you'd find you know they'd have a more open-minded um and more girls in the class, but it just wasn't it just really wasn't the case. So it, for me it just showed that um like the sexism and our expe- expectations of women cuts across like all cultures all boundaries all like social classes it really yeah, yeah it really doesn't matter like, exactly where you come from um these biases are applied to women in so many aspects of life yeah i mean like one of the things i noticed is that you know, at least growing up in my school like the smartest people uh you know up to gcse's were the girls <laughs> i mean like <laughs> the, the top 10 let's say but then once we reach a levels they, they none of them were in um, engineering uh, sorry engineering physics uh, classes or whatever and so i wondered to myself like where where was the jump and it's something that i noticed that was like cohort by cohort it wasn't just my specific year yeah, yeah i think um that that kind of phenomenon is called a leaky pipeline so the more the further you go down in your careers the more um, engineers that you lose um, so if you are so at GCSEs or even before GCSEs like let's look at like primary school everyone learns the same thing everyone is kind of you know everyone's in the same area they they all start off in a similar environment then as we specialize the more we specialize into kind of GCSEs where we get a little bit more choice in what we want to do then A levels even more choice and university even more choice uh, that you get that kind of filtration system of more people more um students kind of yes it is more um choosing what they like and what they want to do but um they're not exposed to as much as well so 
they might say, is that kind of a perception that stays in physics going, what do you study in physics? Um, I can't see everything in physics. So they might go, I'm not, I, I, I can't relate to it. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of, that uh, maybe for um, some girls, it's like you want to be able to see it to um, actually understand what's going on around you. So they go, I'm not sure what physics will lend um, to me later on. So for myself, I can say, I dropped physics after AS. I didn't carry on to you. But I, I did carry on with maths, and that's where my kind of um, my foundation in engineering kind of started because I wanted to apply maths a little bit more. Um, I don't know what it was like for the two of you, but Clara and Rebecca. For me, it was quite substantially different because in Italy we don't have an equivalent to GCSE and A levels, but we choose high school, and it's a five-year path. Uh, where you make your choice at the beginning of these five years and then everything is the same for everybody that made the same choice. Mm -hmm. So I was in the high school that is oriented towards scientific um, matters, scientific subjects. And uh, so I was in the same class with the same people from when I was 14 until the age I went to uni, so until I was 19. And so that also means that... uh, uh, some of our teachers really get to know us because they're always the same. Uh, so they get to support us. And I, I have to say that my teachers really supported me in this choice. So it was uh, especially some of the teachers of maths or physics that were, were really saying, yeah, if you're in doubt, just think how passionate you are about these subjects. So be brave, make this choice. And uh, yeah, don't look back. You will enjoy it. So I, I think it's difficult to see any uh, choices being made uh, at that age uh, in, in that environment because it's, uh, this is the scientific high school is the basis for basically a lot of universities that you can choose afterwards. And there are universities uh, that are also um, seeing a majority of women enrolled in it that are... Uh, based on uh, on scientific sub- subjects as well so but maybe in this context was a bit dif- different the environment really was different how important was Sorry, that where are you from? system yeah. <laughs> i'm from italy <laughs> sorry so you were saying uh, how important was that support system for you to have someone who was encouraging because i think that's always important as well to have whether it's a teacher or some kind of um, senior figure in your life that does encourage you to uh, pursue it. Yeah, I think I think it is it is important, and it can probably have pros and cons because if you don't get along well with the teachers, and you know that you're going to see them for three years uh, or five, depending on the subject, then it can be tricky. Yeah, <laughs> I had yeah. <laughs> Let's not talk. Yeah, we all have one or two. Yeah, but. If you're lucky enough to to get somebody that is really supportive, then uh, there is. I think there is a benefit in uh, this person seeing your progress and trying to probably also intervene if in case you're losing your focus or because this person might know you a bit better. But I don't know. It's difficult to speak from uh, one perspective, not having seen. And the alternative. So I don't know what uh, if this has a, a positive, a, a better impact than uh, mm-hmm. year by year. 
I think also like it comes to how it's sold to a student, how it's portrayed to a student, because what Sahila said is so true. Engineering isn't just about building a machine. It's actually fundamentally about helping people. And that's what Sahila wanted to do. She wanted to help people. So, you know, she wanted to go and become a doctor, but then you don't realize that a lot of people don't realize that the key of engineering is to help people in a longer term. You know, a doctor is just helping a person for to live a bit longer, but an engineer is helping societies, people's lives in society um, improve. So I think a lot of people don't realize that when they think of engineering, they don't think of this is a tool to better society and to help people in the long term. Yeah. So I think that's how teachers should be communicating it rather than it's a job where you build something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important because even just looking behind you, Clara, you've got an oven behind you, right? That's a, kind of a fundamental thing that you have in a kitchen. Yeah, exactly. And for to make food, um, everything that, that you do. So that oven has to be safe. It has to do the job that it's meant to do. So everything, that, the way it's been designed, it's been de- designed by engineers at the end of the day. So it's so interconnected. It's like you say, it's, um, it's woven itself into society. And that communication from an early age is really important, definitely. Yeah. And I think also people perceive women to be um, caring and, um, you know, you care about people. You're a woman. You have to care about, you know, how people are. So they would think, okay, maybe she won't be interested in engineering because, you know, she doesn't really, she wouldn't be interested in that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that perception of that a woman has to care about other people is also a barrier. I really, I really, really believe that, but let's not get into it too deep. (laughs) Now you can get into into it as deep as you like on this podcast. (laughs) There are no rules. Uh, Maybe Aaron can pitch in. uh, He has a few facts. Uh, um, I'll drop some statistics because everyone loves those. And um, so the first statistic that I want to kind of talk about is uh, one that was given by UCAS to the HESA. Uh, They state 35% of STEM students in higher education in the UK are women. For students studying engineering related degrees, only 19% were female with a staggering 81% of students being male. Uh, This statistic is also similar for computer science. Since 2015, the number of women in STEM has grown from 22,000 and 20 to 24,000 in 2018. Although this appears to show a linear increase, due to the more rapid growth in the number of men graduating in these subject areas, the percentage of women in STEM has fluctuated from 25 down to 24 and finally up to 26 in 2018. Essentially, the proportion has remained the same. Mm-hmm. So given those stats, what I want to kind of ask is, um, what was your experience like in university once you entered higher education? Um, did you ever feel like you were a minority within your classes? Because, I mean, according to this, around 81% of your class would have been male. Um, and did that affect you negatively? So, Clara, I think you can definitely pitch yeah. in on this one yeah. as an aerospace engineer. Yeah, I was just like shaking my head as you're saying it. Because, yeah, it's true. Like, you know, 19% sounds like such a small percentage. So it's just shocking in my brain, just as a number. But then I thought about it in my class. Steve, how many were we? I think we're like 15 girls out of like 200 boys. If even that, if even that, yeah, it was insane. It was, it was just like, and actually it is, it it is actually, honestly, it's so draining. Um, 
you'll be in a group with guys and they'll just start, ha- start having like locker room ban- banter and you're like, I am in the room, guys. <laughs> you, <Yeah>. know? <laughs> you know? And yeah. just like just like other things, like when like someone is just being condescending and trying to help you and you're just like, I was in that lecture with you. Like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Definitely. Or, yeah, or when like, you know, especially for some of my friends, um, I won't mention their names, but you know, sometimes like some guys would actually try and put them down uh, just to like raise their ego because they were so small. Oh, yes. Um, yes, yeah, <laughs> Let's yeah. Let's not yeah. mention it, names. <laughs> I won't mention names, but they were there. There were some really tiny people um, in that course. Anyways, um, and I feel like, especially with the, with our, the name of our course, Aerospace, mm-hmm. you got really, really egotistical guys who really felt like I, I am the guy for doing a course like this, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, me. It was ridiculous. So um, it is really draining especially like uh, when I started working now um, one time like all the girls in our cohort we are still eight girls out of um, 22 graduates Mm. so at least it's a higher percentage but still pretty not great but one time we were having a session we were just having dinner together and one of the girls she actually like broke down in front of us and we were just like oh my god like we didn't know that you're going through all this um, emotional baggage and it just, uh, and the thing is, she was, she's incredible. Like, she's by far, like, one of the best graduates um, in our cohort. And it was just hearing all these things that were eating at her. I was just like, you would have no idea. And, and but the, it was very relatable, the things that she was saying, like, trying to meet expectations, working so hard, um, trying to prove yourself. Like, it was very, very relatable stuff. Um, and, you know, like, some of us will be like, you know, you, you'll go, I don't give a, I don't give an F. But, you, you know, it does eat at you, like, a little bit, like, one piece at a time, it does eat, eat at you. So, it is, it was really, really, it was tough. I won't even lie, it was tough. Yeah, I think, I remember at uni, like, everyone knew every girl's name in the cohort. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. They, were, they were, like, famous, because they were, just because they were, like, girls, and it was like, oh, yeah, you, you know. But if you did the same with the guys in the cohort, like, you, you just won't remember their names, so. Yeah, it yeah, shows us yeah. even those, this girl, remember that girl who never used to show up to lectures? Nobody had ever really yeah. talked to her, but we knew who she was. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So that focus, I think, um, in, I'm just thinking back to my, so in bioengineering, I think because it, because of, again, the name of it, there were there far more girls in um, my kind of course than there were in comparison to um, electrical engineering, in comparison to aerospace engineering. So I remember sitting in lectures where we've had, um, both, you know, it's an interdisciplinary module. So you'd have um, up to say 200 guys in from electrical engineering, and only that's those five girls. Plus the rest of us were from bioengineering lot. So they, we, I think our course had about 35% um, in in relative to um, the others. So yeah, it, it, you can definitely see the difference. And again, it's probably because of that more kind of caring aspect of it that um, made more girls choose bioengineering. Um, in comparison to some of the others so well, how do you I, expect, I think we've, explain chemical Sahila how do you explain chemical engineering for, I'd say it's about 40 percent I, I would say it was really? definitely on the high end 40 45 percent um which was always surprising to me so mm. I don't know how you guys felt, felt about it but there was a lot more girls in on in that course yeah there were loads of girls in chemical yeah. engineering I have no idea why yeah, Money? That's, yeah. Maybe. it's always had the perception of um earning high, higher earnings as well um, but also that, the yeah, process. Security. Yeah, but it's also that I think the process related. So I'm thinking back to my work. So I work in the manufacturing side, 
and the majority of grads and the majority of kind of higher senior um, females in engineering in that within the company um, are coming from a chemical um, process engineering background because that's helping part as part of a plant manufacturing so that kind of way of thinking um, I think that chemical engineering well you know most of our engineering um, different disciplines within engineering cover the basics chemical engineering the process the knowledge um, and foundations um, really do cover quite a vast um, or, or at least they help the vast uh, majority in manufacturing engineering. So I think, yeah, it was definitely, um, I think I was in a different year to you guys, but um, I could definitely see chemical engineering have a higher uh, portion. So that's probably in line with um, the number of statistics that Aaron said. Yeah. Yeah, um, we're a good chunk of our society. Yeah, yeah I mean, definitely. These statistics are for the UK and I'm not sure, Marika, did you go to university in the UK or was it in Italy? No, I, I went to university in Italy. And actually, I have seen a report from my university very recently uh, where they were talking about stats and uh, exactly the same topic, how many women in engineering and uh, uh, scientific subjects and the numbers are unfortunately very similar. Uh, so I studied as well aerospace engineering. We were about 200 people in my year in my course. and. Out of the 200, I think maximum 20 were girls. And, uh, and then the way it worked, so this is for the uh, bachelor um, uh, degree. And then at the master's, these 200 people uh, divided themselves into different choices. So there were, I think, four paths that you could choose uh, from the same bachelor. And so that means that these 20 girls got spread in other four or five uh, classes and so in the end uh, for what I chose to do uh, my master's was in, uh, in aerospace effect dynamics and in my class at that point we were one of the smallest uh, and there were only three girls so it, it was wow. quite a difference and uh, yeah unfortunately it's not very different in Italy than it is in the UK. There is surely more work to be done to encourage yeah, yeah. your... Uh, how, did, how did you feel like going through it? Like personally, did you ever feel like you were like disadvantaged? Did you feel it was harder for you going through the system? Um, I don't know, it was hard for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, probably it was because it's, it's surely something that sometimes was at the back of my mind seeing okay why is uh, my uh, my class looking like these and yeah. uh, it's sad but there were sometimes jokes that uh, some of uh, the uh, other students were doing such as ah yeah for sure you'll pass this exam just you know do a bit of makeup and the professor would be kind on you and yeah. this kind of thing that really really bothering for sure this is still part of it and it um, it's difficult not to get bothered about it and not to get annoyed about it and just yeah. let these things just slip away. And so I, I think all in all, it's not a more difficult experience as, uh, experience as a girl to do engineering than it is as a boy. But surely these things affect uh, you if you're sensitive about the subject mm -hmm. and uh, it's something that it's hard to ignore. Yeah. Um, so I was actually just going to ask uh, what some of the major difficulties were, but I think we've kind of covered that. However, I do want to ask, 
Um, who do you think is responsible at universities to try and make sure that you don't feel that way going through the through the degrees? I mean, who who is responsible for ensuring that a there is a um, adequate number of uh, female engineers going through university, and b for the female engineers that are in the class, who's responsible for making them feel comfortable where you don't get remarks such as, you know, if you put on makeup, the professor will make you pass and so on. Like, who's responsible for kind of safeguarding the students? It's a difficult question because at that point you are an adult, aren't you? So the kind of responsibility is part of you as well. But then I'm thinking back to the Women Engineering Society and how we were able to form those connections, that network of, um, that I hope that was a safe space for students to come along to find other people who might be going through similar situations um, in group projects for example I'm thinking back to a few that I remember that where comments were made and we'd have to respond in a slightly different way so maybe having a mentor maybe having older students um, who are able to buddy up with the young of the kind of the incoming first years to help them um, you know realize that it might not be as easy or clear-cut as they came from because it's quite a big jump I think from um, the end of um, secondary school in sixth form and going straight into your first year that is quite a big jump because you're completely left on your own so having a mentor or an older student helping you and guiding you hopefully helps um, I'm thinking back because I had a um, young man teacher also an aerospace, aerospace student so um, I hope that you know, being able to talk to someone who has been through a similar situation would help. Um, but I don't know how you guys feel about that. Yeah, I think it's a very good idea. And uh, this is something that uh, surely would have helped. Uh, in my case, we didn't have bodies or uh, any sort of figure like that. And I think the first year is surely the most difficult. And it's the year where you have to confront yourself with a new reality, a new subjects, new way of studying. Mm-hmm. And maybe and in my case, for example, at high school, I found uh, studying uh, easy. Um, I, I had good grades without uh, uh, having yeah. much effort in it. And then yeah. first year was just very, very hard. And I think a lot of people had a similar experience. So uh, surely having somebody helping you would, would be absolutely beneficial. On the other hand, though, first year, you have already made your choice. Mm-hmm. So the few girls that are engineering are still few. So maybe we should look a little bit backwards oh, yeah. and see how can yeah. we encourage girls in high school to actually pick up uh, engineering. And coming back to what we were discussing before and how difficult it is for us to understand what engineering means when we're far from it. Maybe something that is useful is going in the, sc- in the schools. So um, for example, with, uh, with my company now, my, um, they promote a lot um, having graduates uh, going uh, to uh, schools of various grades uh, to just talk about science, talk about what we do and uh, encourage people uh, to take up this, uh, this career. And I think these uh, STEM events are really, really helpful. So this is something that I have been very, very happy to, to help with because I really have the impression that sometimes we go in schools that are very close to Bristol and Airbus is a very big company. So a lot of people work for this company in this community. But still, sometimes we go to schools and we, we ask, okay, do, we know, do you know what we do? And the answer is very often no. So it's, it's really important to, um, to engage students when they're younger and to show them what we do. So uh, sometimes even uh, when they're very young with some, some form of uh, games, 
so that they can uh, feel comfortable about it and then um, in later on with, uh, with students in uh, GCSEs or A-levels, I think it's important, especially for women, to show their, uh, their faces in schools and say, look, this is what I do, this is my career. Yes, it's been hard, but now I'm here and you can be just like me, so don't be scared. And I think it's important to just um, be more present in the community in this sense. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, you're absolutely right. You know, us being where we are, we're a very small percentage, as you said. So we are actually in a position of, of privilege. Mm -hmm. And with privilege, I think, comes responsibility because you have to make sure that other people have the same opportunities as you do. You know, nobody's used to seeing like, nobody's used to seeing someone like me up saying that they're an engineer or Sahila or, you know, Marika. So we really have to put ourselves out there. Um, and just even if you don't think it's going to make a massive impact, it might make an impact for one person. Well, and that one person is going to increase the percentage. So just it's, I think with that privilege, you have to feel responsible. But at the same time, um, I have had some friends who have been frustrated that because they're a woman, they stop being told you have to go for a STEM event. And I was like, no, that's, that's her choice, you know, mm -hmm. or they'll say, you know, you should really speak at this presentation because you are a woman. And, you know, it just really pulls away from, um, from the equality side of yes. things. It, you know, like, why can't a man go up and, I mean, I think men listen more to men, <laughs> to each other. So why can't a man go up there and say there's a problem and there's not enough women? I feel like that would really hit home rather than making it look like we are the ones who are creating our own problem. Mm -hmm. If a man can see a, a problem then you know you'll see okay okay i think this is this is real you know definitely like, yeah yeah and you know that's why remember steve steve was basically like our mascot our champion <laughs> yeah you, it was great to have steve there because yeah. we used to tell guys you can't join the women in engineering society because yeah. you know we need it's not just need allies. It's not just a woman's problem it's it's society's problem it's 50 percent of the population Exactly. That aren't getting, yeah, that aren't included in this, um, in, in it. And I remember, Steve, you know what? I remember you said, you said you wish that your sister would have the same opportunities. Yeah, basically. So I think, and it's, and it's like, that's, it sh that's what it should be for people, that you want everyone else to have the same opportunities. So I think you're right, absolutely right. It's, you have to go out there and push them or just, you know, equality in general. Definitely. And it's a responsibility yeah. for both men and women. Uh, I remember like when I was volunteering, you know, people used to make jokes like as in, you know, you're infiltrating to hit on girls or something, you know, something I along remember. those lines. Yeah. But like, but at least there's a conversation that starts and, you know, you start talking to them and like mm -hmm. addressing what, what they perceive this as and, then they start to warm up to the idea and that's how we we usually got signups like they'd ask me yeah. stupid questions like that but then the conversation would go and they'd be like yeah you're right and then they'd yeah. sign up to you know the news feed etc and yeah. one one moment that hit me is that when i was volunteering uh, i think it was in doncaster for um when we were showing off the oh, vr the, yeah, yeah. yeah there was um there was a a, a girl and her father who came to visit and her father was like kind of like ushering her away from our store like oh you don't want to you know you don't want to follow that mm -hmm. and then I kind of caught him and started having a conversation with him about engineering what his perceptions are and obviously because <laughs> it's the north they have more of a traditional view um, and he was quite open about it saying you know he thinks that this is more of a man's subject etc but then once you start having a conversation with them you know they become more open to it and like you said then I, I, I do believe this like men are more comfortable talking with men they feel like they could maybe express their true views uh, more openly. And 
being able to do that, obviously, you're, if you have a conversation with them, you're able to open up their mind. So I, I think it's a responsibility for just not just women to promote women, but also men, um, you know, to do good. 100%, especially from the position of power. I mean, in my company, I haven't seen like anyone very high up that is a woman. So if they're the ones making the decisions, then, you know, you have to convince men. Yeah, definitely. And maybe I can go on to uh, the next stat. So, um, yeah, according to the WISE campaign, uh, the trend in women in STEM careers have increased by 3,500 since like a decade ago. So in 2019, women represented around 24% of core STEM careers which is a huge improvement. But again, this proportion is far from ideal. And the, the, I, I looked up a study uh, by Statista and uh, it showed the percentage of women in STEM subjects, uh, in STEM careers, sorry. And the UK was ranked 30th uh, in a list of other nations. And so maybe we can transition more into like careers. Uh, I want to ask like, how was your transition from university to employment? And did you feel like, like the employment phase was, you know, quite encouraging uh, women to to join into like STEM careers and uh, how, yeah how, how what was your experience like? So I work in a manufacturing kind of engineering um, uh, companies um, so again it, I think there is this perception of um, girls can't be engineers but there is a there is a huge support network so in terms of STEM there is a kind of a women in STEM chapter in every site that we have um, there is a women lead, leaders um, kind of chapter as well. So these kind of networks that form um, and uh, unlike, I guess, um, in uh, Barbadia Clara, we do have a quite a senior prominent um, figure within our kind of executive um, role, um, quite high up, it's literally in terms of medical devices, um, she is in charge of that whole area. So seeing people who are able to get into those kind of positions of power really does help. Um, and that message, I think we, I remember on our site when I first started and even an interview, my, the head of site, our kind of director was a female. So being able to see those females in power really does kind of encourage new, um, new people coming in to say, you can be that person one day, or you, know, you could, if you wanted to be, if you wanted to take that route not everyone does and i think that's something to remember as well you can uh, pursue it so you can see what you can be in the future um but i think perceptions wise there there are some kind of there are some stories that, that i've heard in the past that you know and um, people go why why is she doing engineering or um i don't under, i still don't understand it so you have to change those you have to challenge those perceptions right when whenever it's, if something is like is mentioned there you have to be able to challenge that perception and go why can't i be an engineer why wh what's different um and be a be open have that conversation see see their viewpoint and challenge it where you can mm, that's interesting well what about my, you mariko because you, you started your career in i guess germany right so like ent entering in the german workforce um what was your feeling uh, how did you feel there did you still feel like a minority i'm guessing yes but i'll let you explain well so i i finished uni and i moved to germany without being able to speak german so there were many nice. ways i felt a minority <laughs> because just I, I i was in a very new environment i was a woman and i was the only woman in my team at the beginning then another woman joined but at the beginning i was the only one and uh 
And on top of that, there was the, the language barrier and the fact that uh, it was already a very um, quite diverse environment where not everybody in my team was uh, of the same nationality, for example, but, uh, uh, but still the majority was, uh, uh, was German. And I was sometimes, I think, um, feeling like I, I was a bit uh, different, but it was also the fact that I, I joined as a, um, um, I joined to do my, my master's thesis basically. So um, I, I was still a student and I was feeling a little bit like, okay, it's the first time that I am entering a grown up world and uh, um, I, I still feel I am a student, but uh, so it, it was a bit of, um, uh, of a transition that I had to make. And uh, there were many things things that I could see I had to uh, to work on uh, in terms of, of so for example uh, how I um, uh, I was approaching my colleagues how I was uh, approaching the work and uh, and I think that uh, the fact that uh, I made these first steps away from the um, from where I studied made it a little bit more difficult because probably if I had started working um, in Italy I would have felt a little bit closer to the environment I was at uni but that jump was a very big jump so I, I had a lot of things to, to think about in that first year and um, but I, I have to say being a woman was not one of my top focus in, in that uh, context in terms of uh, things that I could notice uh, in terms of being a minority of being different somehow because I think it was uh, more the, the, the language factor at that point mm -hmm. and being the, the only woman in my team was not very difficult from being one of the very few women in my class at uni so that was not a surprise I, I knew what I was going into and by the time I did not uh, really mind anymore. Uh, so in, in that sense, it was not surprising. Yeah, um, for me, it was, um, there was, I, I got, I got um, pigeonholed into some uh, managerial roles um, rather than technical. And mm -hmm. I, I just, I didn't like it. <laughs> I mean, I, it's not that I was bad at it. It's just that, um, you know, when you're starting out your career, I'd really like to know the mechanics behind okay. what I'm yeah. doing before I'm, I start telling people, this is what you should be doing. Because if, if you, if you don't know, if you don't know the machine, how are you going to tell someone to fix it? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if being a woman plays into, um, the rules that I was given, um, but you know, it has been. It, research shows that it has. It is. It does happen that women do get pigeonholed into um, some managerial roles because they're perceived to be more um, caring and um, they're perceived to be able to work with people better. They're friendly. So I, I just really didn't like that. So I actually like actively had to pursue more technical roles or I had to ask for more technical work. So yeah, that was a. And then at some because it's it was my first time being an engineer like in real life. So I was like, is this what it actually is or is it not? Uh, but. As I started moving around the company, doing different placements, um, I started realizing that, yeah, I was actually just being given like project management stuff, which isn't, it wasn't what I wanted to pursue at the time. Um, I'm not, I'm not crossing it out. I'm just saying that that was, that was definitely, a, this is the thing, this is the thing with being prejudiced, especially when it comes to like um, 
and sexism, especially in the West, I think. In Kenya, if someone's being sexist to you, they'll just be like, you're a girl. Yeah? You're a girl. This is why you can't face. do it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have no choice. <laughs> yeah, but here, you know, it's very easy to like... Um, um, cast it aside because you're just not sure like it's not very much in your face it's very very subtle um, and at work we, we don't really have like a women in anything mm-hmm. um, so we don't have um, somewhere to or someone to go to to go is this is this the right rule for me am I doing the right thing um, but I did meet some women at work there's one lady um, particularly um, she's she's quite a powerful leader I re- and she's mm-hmm. an ex-graduate and I always go to her whenever I have um, struggles or when, whenever I'm in doubt, um, I'll just pop her a message and be like, uh, could you tell me if I'm doing the right thing? Is Did you experience anything like this? So it's really nice to have that support. So I can imagine as a network, it would be better. We have a women in real society in Derby in general, mm-hmm. but as a company, I don't think we, we don't have that yet. Laura, I wanted to ask whether like coming into a work environment now, obviously before in university, you're talking about the locker room banter and uh, you know mm. th- that kind of boys banter but you'd think like in a work environment it'd be controlled because it's work and it's HR how, how how do you feel like working now well I there's still football banter which mm. I just I can't be I can't be bothered to even like I mean it's just me it's just me I don't like football very much uh, but it is something that people use as an icebreaker sometimes and I'm just like I feel like I feel like I can't really participate in this so there is a few like nuances you know what I mean um but I you know I'm a very very like chatty person I'll just be like blah 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 blah. I'll add my own I'll add my own after the football banter I'll add my own things into it but um there is a few nuances and you know not to say that women can't participate in football there's definitely women taking part in that banter but for me there's there's nuances there's nuances to some conversations that I can't really take part in Yeah. yeah do you ever feel like some conversations are because I've been there where like I feel like it's kind of a sexist conversation and uh you know it's just like but but because no, the older generation always... don't realize like what yeah. they're really saying actually there was one meeting I was in oh my gosh <laughs> so he made um I, I won't say who he is but he made a joke about um his wife doing the housework um and thankfully oh, everyone wow. in the meeting didn't take it well everyone was like oh but then Someone said, oh, Clara's in the chat, you guys. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I was if like, you what do you... There. Yes, what do you mean that Clara's here? You know what I mean? So uh, I, it's, it's things like that. I think, yeah, you're right. There's a bit of, especially among the older generation. But I think with older people as well, they are less shy to talk about this stuff as mm-hmm. well. So they will just they will just speak their mind to yeah. you. But I really appreciate the transparency. Yeah. Um. Actually, it's kind of interesting that you said about with Kenya how um they're kind of in your face with it. They'll say you're a girl and that's it sort of thing. But I just kind of wanted to point out the the stat that the UK is currently 30th on the list of uh, countries that are you know employing women and so yes. on. This is just a question to all three of you. Uh, what do you think attributes to us being so low in the lists? I mean, there's a lot of developing countries that are ahead of us. Uh, what are they doing right that we're doing wrong or, you know, so so forth? So what would you think about that? So I think it's partly to do, you know how America said around the five-year kind of education where you specialize into a certain area. I think that model is being used in a lot of different countries that are probably higher on the list. Um, so if you look at the UK where, 
our specialism doesn't really start until kind of the GCSE areas and yeah. even then everyone has to take science everyone has to take maths so that specialism really isn't there until A levels really so that's only giving us two years to specialize whereas in other countries where you have that kind of I think you can either choose a business route you can choose a scientific route or you can do a more kind of creative arts route in a lot of different countries who are higher on that um, list that you're talking about Aaron and Steve um, so they're not in that 30th they'll probably be in the top 10 so um, there are countries I think we need to learn from from an educational perspective should we start to specialize a little bit more earlier on in the educational system so things like the I think it's the European Bac uh, Baccalaureate they, they are starting to do that where you are able to specialize a little bit more um, where in so you choose more sciences early on or you choose more creative subjects early on. And then that way you have you're able to carry that path on a little bit longer rather or a commerce model. Uh, model. Um, you, so I think in the education system, that's important. Do you think like the expectation for women in different cultures also affects like, um, you know, the the stats? Do you think it's uh, the expectation for women and maybe like a different background? is more open to them joining engineering fields and maybe over here. Definitely. So I think in the STEM careers, there's more cult some cultures are more open having more um, people in the STEM careers rather than others. Um, but again, it depends on that individual as well, isn't it? So if they want to pursue something, I think society should at least allow them or give them the opportunity to, to have the chance. Yeah. In my office is a lot of Indians, Indian citizens. Yeah. And um, someone at work actually was explaining to me, he was an Indian man, so he was actually explaining to me why there's actually so many like um, uh, female engineers um, coming from India. And he told me basically that um, in India, software engineering, IT, um, basically work from a computer is deemed as acceptable for women. But when you put in the word mechanical engineering, he said that, you know, people picture that hard hat um, mm -hmm. um, engineer, yeah. you know, they picture like climbing out, climbing up tower mass and fixing things in really horrible weather. Yeah. So, um, so he was explaining to me that, and he was like, but you know what an engineer is. He was like, you're not going to be doing that. <laughs> and then, I'd refuse. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I'd quit instantly. Yeah. You're crazy. <laughs> Me. <laughs> or my Popeye. <laughs> anyway, we digress. <laughs> yeah, so, so he was just saying that. Um, so you'll see, he said, you'll see so many women in India like that are doing software engineering. And he was like, that's why you see so many of them in the office here. So they have been given a wider description of engineering compared to the UK. Mm -hmm. But I still think that um, there's still a problem there. <laughs> Even though... Yeah yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, even though they they are like progressed in a way, it's it's still it's still a problem. Mm -hmm. It's still a problem. What what's your thoughts on this, Marika? Why do you think uh, you know more developing countries have a better statistic? I I don't know. I think it's a very difficult question, and I I don't think I have a lot of information about it. So I I'm really um, wondering actually, and I'm also wondering where Italy is in that uh, in that list I don't yeah. know I'm not I don't I don't quite remember but I'll search it out <laughs> I think as well like um I think as well it's associated with at least in developing countries at least in Kenya engineering is associated with security so you know your parents are not looking at you and saying like oh that's 
that's for boys. They're looking at you like that's going to bring money in the bank. So they're not really caring about your interests. They're just caring about um, the security that's associated with the discipline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how uh, it can kind of uh, bring your income in. Yeah. yeah. Rather I think than I'm, you're actually happy. No, I think there's a, um, there's a situation I'm thinking back to in school. So one of my friends, she was really discouraged from pursuing a, a STEM subject because her grades weren't high enough. So she, we used to have, we had like set systems. So she was always in bottom set for maths, for example. So people can easily get discouraged um, early on in the, the education system. And I yeah. think the more you support, because now we have a lot of engineering apprenticeships as well. So the more you kind of encourage people in different pathways, different routes, the technical kind of um, qualifications that are coming out in our key levels. So all of these different routes will really help um, people who might not want to pursue it. The, the option is there as so if they would like to pursue engineering or any other STEM subject um, that they want to um, take on board, that, that kind of um, parity in having, you know, you have um, apprenticeships that they can pursue even if they might not be so academically inclined. So being open um, and offering different opportunities is really important rather than kind of discouraging going, you're in bottom set for math, so why, why would we allow you to pursue um, yeah. engineering or medicine or anything else at a later date? Definitely. That's a really good point. Like you can ask Erin, I mean, <laughs> I had like the worst English level ever 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 you can barely and speak it mate i can't speak it i'm not gonna lie but honestly like i was predicted like an e um and I, I you can i think a lot of my friends know like i can't really spell and stuff and if i took that to heart like maybe i would never be like <laughs> started from the bottom now we're hitting no, i'm joking <laughs> but <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah no definitely like if i was discouraged at that point you know if like if i kind of listen to the teachers that you know you'll never get this the c and GCSE, which basically is a barrier to every STEM subject, right? You need exactly. to get C. Then, yeah, you, you you wouldn't pursue it in the end. Definitely. I mean, maybe add another point as well. Like in what I noticed is like, and also another other work areas. For example, uh, my my family's like background is like in fishing, and I remember there's I just remember this that there's like in most towns like it's the fishermen are just known to be male, right? They're just like male workers. But there was a there is a town where it's it's actually flipped where like the fishermen were all female and it was like, yeah, that's a female role. And although it's in that little microcosm, it shows how like different, you know, expectations affects the demographics so strongly. And yeah, it's just quite weird. Mm. That's interesting. A bit of a sidetrack here. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's true. Gender roles are BS. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's total BS. I'm not. (laughs) Do you think in the UK, the perception of engineers is also affected by the fact that engineer and technician are used as, as synonyms. So Possibly, yeah. there's no distinction, is there, between an engineer and a technician? Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. I think yeah. it has a big effect. Yeah. Like uh, also in pay, which I'm upset. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but of course it's like then uh, trickles to also gender roles because when you think technician, like we you know it's a guy who comes in to plaster your wall. It's the guy that comes in and gets, you know, dusty all over the place and it's more viewed as a more dirtier job, maybe also like, and that henceforth goes to like more male role, which maybe we can dig into that, whether it even should be viewed that way. But yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Like the, the lack of distinction it just allows confusion. Maybe that will help. But maybe a question to you guys. Uh, do you like when you think of these dirty roles, they still do exist? And do you still think? Like, why are they viewed as male roles when, they, when it's dirty and hands-on? 
Because you want your nails to still look fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) What about my nails? (laughs) No one cares. (laughs) Yeah, and your hands to be soft and all kinds of stuff, isn't it? Um, Yeah. yeah, I think it's that perception, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. We've got girls on our production line in in the hobby. Sorry, that's my dishwasher. That's right. Yeah, we've got girls in our production line. And, um, you know, like, they are still, like, quite feminine, some of them. And um, so you can, it's just, you st- you can still retain your femininity even if you are mm-hmm. doing the quote unquote dirty job, mm-hmm. but um, actually just speaking to all those girls, it just seemed like they didn't even have like a common pattern. So you couldn't even find out how did they end up liking these like how did they end up how did they end up here? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it's a societal issue. I think it's just it's m- much bigger than just us going into schools and saying what it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's the way we treat girls. I think it's the way we view women. Yeah. It's 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 much bigger than there's so many rules that you just think of and you go, you know, like if someone says to you a professor, it automatically in your brain you just think of an old man with like gray hair, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just these unconscious biases and how do we undo them? It's it's so much bigger than like um our roles in just going into schools and talking to people. And I don't really know how we would solve that. Mm. And I don't say that I'm not like I'm not like um immune to like unconscious bias, obviously. Yeah. Um. So I have like I've done like a few courses to really try and tackle it um so i think that's that would be a step you know maybe like have your parents have some parents actually look come in some courses and unconscious biases have teachers make sure teachers do it for sure yeah education yeah that's um that's an important point there and it kind of leads me into the next question i was going to ask which is it's a two-part um now that we've kind of discussed some of the difficulties surrounding this field um what are some of the short-term fixes that you think we can implement quickly to ensure that more women not only go into STEM uh, careers, uh, but, you know, in STEM education, but also in STEM careers? And what's the long-term systemic changes that you think um, need to be made? So what's something short-term that can be implemented quickly and what's something long-term that needs to change to kind of move the UK from 30th to, let's say, at least top five? Yeah, and also America, sorry, Italy isn't it, or even on the lists. I apologize. Oh, okay, wow. Well. <laughs> yeah. like, is Italy on the list? No, it's, it's not. not even on the list. Oh, Actually, UK is at the bottom of the list. So. Okay. <laughs> we just about made it. Okay. Maybe we could start with America then. <laughs> um, I found uh, the events I hear before about. Uh, um, education and how specific it is in the UK very interesting and I was wondering if having broader choices made uh, earlier on so that you could have uh, a bit of um, uh, insight into uh, some STEM subjects a bit for, uh, for a bit longer uh, mm-hmm. or a bit more in detail that could help but then I, I don't know if that would be enough and I think actually the point that Clara was making is something very very important because unconscious bias is surely something that is affecting choice and it's surely something that might have influenced my uncertainty at the beginning when I was indecided about whether or not I should make Mm. this choice and enroll in aerospace engineering and um, so surely we, we have to start from the education system and making sure that we really are doing whatever we can to fight these biases so maybe trainings or especially making sure that the teachers do not 
uh, spread these biases even further. So that's that's maybe a first step. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the education system does need to be tackled uh, quite severely because uh, I know this might be a bit off topic, but when I was going to decide to do my degree, I asked my guidance counsellor, what's the difference between pharmacology and pharmacy? Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, you know, one of them makes the drugs and the other one sells it. And, um, you know, if you do pharmacology, you can do it for one year and then switch over to pharmacy, no problem and so on. Or you can finish your pharmacy, pharmacology degree and do uh, a one year course and have a pharmacy degree. Turns out none of that is true. Uh, you can't do any of that. But I mean, I was honestly, this is the guidance counsellor and, you know, I probably should have done more research into it myself, but I genuinely believe if I do a pharmacology degree, I can just do a one-year course and make it into a pharmacy. But they're completely different degrees. Mm -hmm. But the person in the position of power to kind of give us that guidance, so to speak, didn't really know what they were talking about themselves. So, uh, yeah, maybe maybe introducing more people who actually know what they're talking about specific to a subject might be, might be a way forward too, I guess. Was that a school, Aaron? Uh, yeah, so that's uh, yeah. during our secondary slash A level A level yeah. years. Our guidance counselors, I think, specialist was like <laughs> English lit or something, and she she was asked to kind of guide children into you know a yeah. variety of different topics, which yeah. she really didn't know about. No, I I agree. I think at school, um, our careers advisors are could use a lot more training um, and understanding yeah. of the different careers available to students after um, university, after apprenticeships, and so on. I think that. I think that's partly with part of the education system where we do need to really look at what kind of advice our careers advisors giving because I think as you get to university I found that the careers advice service at university was a lot more in-depth and they were able to kind of give more detailed um, uh, advice rather than at school I think at school like you uh, like you are and I had a similar experience where people didn't really know what they were talking about so that um, information being shared wasn't true or um, was knowledgeable yeah yeah that is for me like I, f I just remember like the points that when i remember like good careers was when people came in so if a lawyer came in and he gave a speech like you know talk about what he does and then i'm like oh yeah, you know what that's not a bad career or, or whoever came in that's when it snapped in my mind i mean like a teacher could tell me all day you know oh do this you'll be good but it's when you actually hear it from the horse's mouth and mm -hmm. i think like for women in engineering it'd be really good if like more more women can come in that are in like in the field like you know actually working there to give their perspective to basically give this talk you know and it's, it not only affects like the male students but more the female students in my opinion because you can relate to them and I think that's where it really is it's like when you when you're able to relate to someone that's when you really follow their advice so I, I think that would be really helpful short term short term yeah what about long-term oh. solutions yeah that's hard that's hard societal change long term parents exactly. teachers um, it needs to start from the beginning i'd say mm. i mean think about how many women ends we have we there's women in, in everything there's women in comedy women in business women like the it's women are marginalized in so many different fields um because of you know just because of gender biases so it's it's not just a problem for engineering is what i'm trying to say and mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a big problem. It's huge. <laughs> yeah. It is so much bigger than, um, than, just, than just engineering. I think like also like a point is that we forget like the history. I mean, only recently were women allowed to vote in the UK, you know? Yeah. And so if you, if you remember like how historically, like not even that far away, were women in a totally different position. 
like you said, there's this unconscious bias, you know, you go to work, they don't even realize they might be discriminating, but because they're used to one thing, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they choose in that way. So yeah, I agree. And to, how do you propose to kind of tackle that unconscious bias? Because at the end of the day, it is unconscious. It's not, you know, when you say unconscious bias, it's something that isn't yeah. necessarily fall out. But how do you tackle that? That's the, that's the, I think, the, the big issue. The thing with unconscious bias is that um, you're less when you become aware of it, when you become aware that you have an unconscious bias, you're less likely to um, act, you're less likely to make those mistakes. You're not immune to it, but the fact that you become aware of it means that you're, you're less likely to act on it. So, and there's studies to prove this. So it is just a matter of making people know that you actually have a bias. Everyone has a bias. And um, these are practices that you can try to, to reduce it so that's why i think you sh- everyone should just do a course at least before you mm-hmm. enter a job or you know just mm. at some point in your life you should at least do a course on unconscious bias i have a question for you um so like education is the passive uh, kind of uh, solution but in terms of active solutions such as positive discrimination in job applications uh, do you think this fits and is it appropriate so with job applications I can say that if you are looking at something if you're a female and you're looking at something and you see the job description and you go so this is how females might approach it and they go okay I can only meet one two points one two and three a a guy might look at a job application or a job description and go I can do this I'm able to do this I'm able to do this or or they're able to take all 10 boxes just by going I think I can do this I think I can do this so that really does stop people so I think as females we need to be more proactive in, in going looking at the application go I might be able to do this in a different way so still being encouraged to apply even if you don't meet all the criteria because at the end of the day guys might go I, I, I'm not suitable I'm not 100% qualified but I'll still apply anyway I've definitely done that go, yeah <laughs> girls yeah. are socialized yeah. into perfectionism though like yeah. girls are socialized into perfectionism so it is it is mm. I've done it before there's one time I there was a job that described um needing like MATLAB experience and I was like I've done a little bit of MATLAB but not yeah. that much yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I sent it to my friend and she was just like Clara what are you why are you asking me if you should apply for this job so I really relate to what Sahila is saying that and you know there are some guys in our course who I'm pretty sure in their CV say they were experts Excellent. in oh 100% <laughs> I don't think I've ever applied to a job where I've actually fit the criteria 100% I pretty much on every single application I've sent out I've gone oh I've heard of that before yeah. so I'll just say I can do it and I'll learn it on the job yeah, yeah. I just learn stuff on the job really yeah that's kind of just think, flinging yeah, application a valid point yeah but do you think like in, on the company side they should be for example like have quotas to meet um, to kind of positively introduce women into engineering, or so, do you know what I mean? Like active elements that some people I do might disagree with. If they like have, they should have like uh, blind applications, because yeah, just don't see their name, don't see their ethnicity, just read, read their mm. CV. Mm. Um, merit. I think a lot of people are going. You know, I'd rather be judged on my merit rather than. Yeah, you don't want to be in that job because you're a woman. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, America? What's your opinion? I think I think quotas are really dangerous. Because we, we just talked about how few women there are in universities and then in terms of engineering at least. And then if we want to meet a certain quota for uh, women in a certain company, then it means that we are actually tweaking the, 
the recruitment process to make sure that we have enough women in the company when maybe we don't have enough graduates. So I think this is really dangerous and this leads to another sort of discrimination possibly because then you can have people saying, yeah, surely you got this job because we, you are a woman and they needed women. So it was easier for you. So I, I, I think this is a very tricky point. And uh, I, I think that uh, we can only aim to have in the companies the same percentages that we have out of the universities that we're taking the people from, because otherwise there is something that is not working. So I, I'm, I think quotas is something that, uh, that must be uh, thought really carefully. I'm going to play devil's advocate. Like, let's say, like we're talking about, you know, it's, it's ingrained, it's systemic, and maybe they don't realize they're doing it. For example, I don't know, one, one of my personal opinions is on like uh, cultural background and, and kind of race. So, for example, you go into an interview and uh, although they don't know, let's say you're like, you don't drink or something like that, and they ask questions on that or something along those lines, although they not they might not be making like a a you know decision in their mind. They might because they're they're usually around you know English white men and your your cultural background is slightly different. They yeah, might not like, pref- I'm not get I'm not gonna get on with you. Uh, yeah, yeah. They might not feel yeah. like they could work with you or and it also for me that I feel like that stems also into like the women's side. So having that element of in, in recruitment where you can't really control it maybe it's necessary to have these kind of quotas. Otherwise, the biases will just leak in again and the, the, the demographic of the workplace just won't change. So I would really challenge that, saying, why would you put two men into an interview? Why not have one woman, one a male in every interview? Yes. Always make that rule because that way you are reducing the chances. You're not going to get rid of it completely, but you're reducing the chances and you're minimising the risk of um, that kind of unconscious bias creeping in mm-hmm. that's actually a really good idea yeah, and yeah I, think, think um, I think the race aspect kind of completely throws it all off off uh, skew because you can say okay let's have a male and a female doing the interview mm-hmm. but if the male and the female are now both let's say uh, white english people and then you walk in as uh, either a black woman or a, you know a black man or a, for in my case a kurdish man or whatever you instantly have this kind of separation between the two of you uh, which again is a place where unconscious bias can kind of come in mm-hmm. um so i think while you can kind of maybe to an extent introduce certain factors such as having both male and female interviewers it's kind of unfortunate that you can't always completely close that gap especially if then you add race into which is another factor i don't know i, I don't know what your thoughts are in terms of in terms of that as well so as minority women as well so you're not only a woman and therefore in a minority but you're also a minority within a minority in a sense what what do you think what do you think should be done in those those sorts of cases be open to conversation um so i'm living in a very kind of a predominantly white area um i think being open to conversation being i'm not going to kind of if someone comes and asks me a question, I'm not going to go, I don't want to answer that. I will try and answer it the best I can. So I'm, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but for myself, I'm happy to have people come up to me and ask me questions, whether that be in a work scenario or whether that be while I'm shopping. So I'd rather people have, uh, be open to having that conversation with me rather than kind of um, going away with their own thoughts, going, she's not going to do this because um, she's wearing a headscarf and whatnot. So I'd rather be open to having that conversation in any environment. That's kind of personal. Yeah, almost. Yeah. 
yeah, educate people on maybe aspects of your culture that they don't understand. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's my personal view. Um, I'm sure some, some people might say otherwise, but that's my personal yeah. view. Uh, Clara? Uh, you don't find it tiring? <laughs> you yeah, don't find it was, tiring yeah. explaining? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, growing up, no one knew what a Kurd was. So literally every single day, I would say, um, they would say, what are you? Are you Turkish? I'd say, no, I'm Kurdish. And they'd be like, what's a Kurd? And I have to, have to sit there and just explain it for like half an hour. We don't actually have a country, you know, we're from this yeah. region and blah, blah. And, you know, you can do it a few times, but when you have to constantly explain to people who you are, it does sometimes get a bit tiring. There's uh, also Google. There's also this amazing true. thing called Google. Yeah, you can uh, probably you just know, carry a card around and say Google. Incredible invention called Google. So I would highly recommend people to use Google. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Where I they guess, can. I guess there's a positive thing that they're asking and instead of like, Yes. You know, they're trying to find out and yes. that's, that's how you learn about different I, cultures. You don't blame the person for asking. It's just no. that, you know, as Clara said, it can sometimes get just very tiring to have to constantly explain. So it's just... Yeah, know. yeah. And I always find that when... You can tell when someone's just like genuinely confused rather than like someone having a, like a really racist intrigue. You can, yeah. really, you can, really, you can really tell. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you can tell. And the thing is, because, you know, I came from Kenya, everyone was black. So it's only like I came to the UK and then you become black. You know, in Kenya, you're just like, everyone is just, everyone's just a Kenyan, you're just a person. Yeah. So, uh. it's, <laughs> <laughs> so when you come, it, when I came to the UK, um, it was, yeah, it's, I think maybe I'm not as used to stupid questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it did just become like, it just became exhausting. But I've, I think I've learned to navigate around it and I've learned to not get offended so quickly as well because someone yeah. actually just doesn't know. Like yeah. they just have no idea. So instead of getting mad, maybe just like drop them a, give them a, give them a footnote. Look at this link, go and look, have, a, have some research by yourself, you know? Yeah. I mean, like I've, I've fell victim to it. Um, to be honest, like if you, if you remember America when starting as an intern, I was like making jokes about the mafia in Italy. And I, I mean, like we laughed, but then like my manager at the time was an Italian and, and a lot of my team were Italian and they gave me like a, the actual historic background of what the mafia is you know that they're, mm. they're not this tv thing that we jokingly you know like talk about they're actually like a terrorist group etc and it's not nice to keep mentioning it to italians mm. so i was wondering Marika, like what was your experience like as like coming into a different culture that's not so aware of italian culture did you uh... you get a lot of um of questions and uh some of the questions are uh, not well informed and personally i am and I don't get offended easily on these questions, but surely you can encounter people that do. So be aware that if you play on stereotypes about uh, a nationality, it's a very risky territory, and you may you have to make sure that you you, you do jokes with your friends. But mm. if you you can do jokes with your friend if your friends are fine with it. But if you meet somebody, it's probably not the best uh, thing to just mock their accent or uh, or making yeah. jokes about the history of their country. And I, I think that's uh, that's surely something that people must be aware of. And I have to say, in in, in the work environment, I I haven't had any unpleasant experiences because of that. I get a lot of questions of people that are genuinely curious about how things are, but it's uh, it's not that common to find people that would just make you feel uncomfortable. Mm. 
But our our president recently he took a very like after the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, Black Lives Matter movement um, protests recently. Mm-hmm. Um, we have so we have the president of and the president of transportation took a very very like serious stand on it, and I was so I was so pleased <laughs> because the president did talk about diversity and he did talk about the importance of it, but he didn't even mention the word black. <laughs> but the president, it was a very passionate speech and it was something that was um, so encouraging to see. So it is, it is nice when you hear people talking about these things. Mm. Just, just have the acknowledgement, I guess. Exactly. There are a group which will just completely deny that that plays any kind of role whatsoever. And that, yeah. that's, I think, more dangerous than somebody who that is more know. dangerous yeah you yeah, want definitely. someone to be in your fa- if you're gonna be racist like be in my in my face racist i know at least i know what i'm dealing with yeah. you know we had this kind of topic on before on the podcast and they, they we had another kenyan um uh kenyan on tony and hey. he, he said the exact same thing he was like just be in my face with it i don't want you to kind of pretend like it doesn't exist or mm-hmm. you know it isn't an issue i'd rather you just either say it is, it is an issue and just say i don't care about it or just, you know, just accept it. Say it is an issue and let's work to kind of figure it out. Um, exactly. Yeah, I think, I think that on this podcast, that is our general approach. If you're going to be racist, then just be racist to my face. Yeah, come yeah. up with it. Yeah. Especially now it's like, uh, you know, with everything going on, I think this is more in the, the spotlight in the media and um, in people's conscious. And people have to now make a decision, you know, whereas maybe some people were like more... You know, they didn't want to talk about it. They were kind of hidden. It's, it's starting to like push them either one side or the other. And it's, society is becoming more divided, which is like we're, we're moving away from the main topic here. But yeah, so like I actually wanted to talk about the Susie and Ricky crash landing book uh, uh, with you two and ask like, what was like, your main inspiration? So for the viewers, Susie and Ricky, The Crash Landing uh, is a book that the Women in Engineering Society created back in, is it 2015, 2014-ish? Yeah, tw- I'm gonna say 20, around the, the, end, the end of 2014, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was quite a successful book uh, written by students, uh, female students at the University of Sheffield that was used to promote um, engineering to obviously uh, younger children and especially women, uh, younger girls. Yeah, just wanted to talk about like what inspired you to do the book. Like, why the book? First of all, disclaimer: it was Lizzie Capasa, yeah. uh, the book editor and the book lead. Uh, she's the one who really took charge of this book. So, it would if she was here, she'd be a good person to ask. But it was actually uh, Elena Rodriguez Falcon's Falcon. idea, yeah. and she was um, the original founder who original founder along with Karis yeah, Karis Karis Bronze, uh, of the Women Engineering Society. So they had had this idea for, for a re- really long time and it finally manifest, manifested. But yeah, what would you like to add, Sayla? So yeah, it's a book that's like Steve said, um, came out, has come out of the university and the students, um, I think at the time they were all kind of early, they started off at university and so we had a PhD student as well, kind of linked into it. Um, so they came up with this idea of a, a book that would help, uh, we can give out to schools um, in the local community and it ended up becoming a bit more of a national initiative as well as part of the Engineering Is campaign. Um, but, you know, it's really to kind of show that 
engineers can come from different backgrounds um engineers and engineering as a whole means different things so you've got just different disciplines within engineering uh, what you can make you can design you can build um so in this case i won't give much away about the book but it was about an alien who crash landed so um we've got two kids trying to re uh, build build something to let to get, uh, let him go home again so you know it was that kind of re it was an inclusive um aspect of it so you you brought um, two kids that didn't really know much about engineering you're giving them more knowledge so hopefully as a children's book this can be read to kids um we were aiming at around like seven to eleven year olds first book so really to try and encourage um kids to know more about engineering um how what it is um what engineers could look like um so just giving that message out there saying it doesn't have to be a male a role it doesn't have to be a female role it can be a role for everyone if you like to if you want to learn more about math if you want to learn more about science um, and you, you could become an engineer potentially in the future so it's just a little bit of an inspirational book I think it's quite close to all of our all of us at the moment so Steve's done a really good job with the VR game as well so that virtual reality game's been taken into schools you know while we were able to yeah. uh, be, take them <laughs> without in without any um, technical difficulties <laughs> <laughs> of course but you know um so something like that it's just it was a nice little project that we were working on and i hope it does encourage one or two kids to take up engineering in the future it might yeah. be a long time away but for them it's some it's a it is a book at the end of the day so the more we can communicate about these kinds of things, whether that is going into schools, giving talks, um, whether it be a book, whether it be a podcast, a news, news article, a TV show, for instance, like what can you really get the message of engineering out there? So a whole, there's a whole host of different options available. I was actually thinking that like all the cartoons that were STEM themed that yeah. I used to watch the male character the main characters were boys yeah. so Jimmy Neutron I don't know if you remember Jimmy Neutron Dexter's Laboratory yeah so like you're right the media does really play a role so also everyone has a responsibility yeah definitely also a plug you can get Susie and Ricky on Kindle for free yeah. oh nice oh nice there, there we go we plug that right there yeah on Kindle Amazon Kindle that's yeah. right I'll send you a link I didn't know about the book, but it sounds like a very, very good initiative. Like, well, don't tell everybody, it must be enough. Yeah, like, yeah, very hard work, but I'm sure it, uh, it will be worthwhile. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. 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 It has to, we were only students, right? So we were only able to do so much, but having that kind of advocate in the um, engineering faculty as well really does push things um, forward. So we were able to go to parliament and launch the engineering aids campaign on behalf of the university. So to be able to get funding, to be able to get um, any kind of resource, all of these kinds of things that sponsorship 
to really give books out to the local community for free. So all of that kind of thing really can cannot happen without a whole host of people that includes students, that includes um, senior members of staff, that includes the support faculty. So people like you know Gemma and the the team that um, sit behind the scenes. Yeah, definitely. Kind of, exactly. So the writing and participation team within the engineering faculty really did help um, push this forward. So. Uh, I, I don't think it, it's possible by just one group of people. It has to be a real, real community effort, I think. But it, yeah, we would not have got there without any of these people um, helping. I think it goes back to you when you, Clara said that everyone has a responsibility, you know, it's not just women. It's, it's on everyone's responsibility to try, you know, just to do something for the community and to give back, finally. Now, whatever capacity you can do. Maybe Erin, you can finish it off with uh, the thought of the week this week. Basically, what we do is we ask our guests every week just for a quick answer to a quick question, just to kind of round it all off. We call it thought of the week. Um, so this week's question is uh, for any aspiring young women who want to go into STEM, what is the main piece of advice you would like to give them? Um, um, I'd say be the change that you want to see in the world. Uh, really make it happen. Yeah, Clara? Mine is like slightly pessimistic, but I believe in pessimistic optimism, which means expect the worst and then get the best out of it. So expect expect to be disappointed, but don't let the disappointment define you. I've had like so many failures throughout university. I've had like, you know, situations that have just been crushed. Um, but it's not been, none of the situations made me go, is it Clara's fault? Is it my fault? No, it's... So never let those situations define you and don't let that not let you take a risk. Always take a risk. So yeah, when I say pessimistic optimism, I mean, imagine the worst case scenario possible and go, are you going to die? Is, the worst, is, that, is it really going to be that bad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's and what then, I did when I picked aerospace, actually. Cause, yeah. um, you, you knew you'd die in aerospace, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> So yeah, that's my bit. America. And, uh, America? Um, I think the, the piece of advice is just not to give up. It's going to be tough. <laughs> and uh, especially at the beginning, if, uh, in engineering, it's tough for everybody. Uh, but it gets better. I think the message is it gets better. Just keep going and, uh, and just uh, find your team because team, teamwork is so much more fun and... Uh, yeah, I've never done an assignment on my own. <laughs> I cheated my way our through whole, uh, aerospace. Of course, of course, none of our cohort deserves <laughs> degrees alone. <laughs> Each of our certificates, you just say class of twenty. Yeah, exactly. We no, all got a first. <laughs> if if one person gets a first, we all do. Um, maybe I can give my two pence. Uh, like for me, it's always there's always someone to look up to. Never feel like there's um, you know you're alone. So. There's plenty of like, even on this panel, you know, strong women uh, who are in, in good careers uh, in engineering and have done it. So if you ever feel alone or you feel like you're by yourself, always look up and see who has been through it before. Okay, well, thank you guys for coming on, uh, for blessing our podcast. Uh, and, uh, you know, we really appreciate the conversation we've had today. And I think that's where we wrap it up. Uh, Steve, why didn't you say who said having fun and being serious can't go hand in hand? That was bloody brilliant.